Welcome to Drafting Compliance. I'm Kane, he's Tom, and last time we talked about physical and environmental protection. Today, we're talking about configuration management. But before then, we're talking about beers. And Tom and I recently went on an adventure. Uh, we live in different states, but we both went to our local beer stores and wandered around for an hour, each one of us on a speakerphone, trying to find beers that are sold in Iowa and in Washington. And uh, you know what I learned, Tom? that there's probably a, a Venn diagram of, um, of people who have beards, people who own dogs, and people who go day drinking at beer stores on a Monday afternoon. Well, for me, it was the evening, so I got away with it just fine. I do have a beard, no dog. But uh, yeah, it, it, you know, probably the better diagram would be something that says uh, craft beers and craft beers available nationwide, because it'd be a very small slice and we are unfortunately struggling with our beer delivery service, so we had to do a little creative shopping. We got it done. That's true. And and what do we have today, Tom? What what is our beer today? From Comstock, Michigan, we have Bell's Brewery, Bell's Two Hearted IPA. And uh, Tom, I can this has, this has a fish on a can. I am already predisposed to not like it. Yeah, I think the fish just is a nod to the fact that Michigan borders so many Great Lakes. I don't know. Oh, okay. See, I, I read salmon because um, that's what we have in the Pacific Northwest. And I have a fish allergy, so I can't say as to how fish tastes. I've already cracked my beer can. I'm way You've already opened it. yours. Wow. You are you're, you are time zones ahead and you're ahead on your day drinking, my friend. So I'm going to start right, pouring it. Ooh, that has a, it. That has a, has a nose. Um, okay. Well, at least I can see through this one. So that's usually a better sign. Yeah, I don't, I don't I know that that's going to be a great sign for you today, but we'll see. Mm, okay. Oh, oh, oh. oh. You're good. I'd stop pouring. Yep, you're good there. Yep. I can. I think I can. Oh. Ah, I got it to fit. Yeah. I All managed. Right. So, what do you, you, know, what that, do you see skills. there, Kane? I see about an inch of foam. It's got a good <laughs> head on it. It's very dense uh, foam on top. It's got a real honey kind of picture to it i mean the, the appearance is not quite transparent but it certainly isn't very hazy this doesn't have much of a nose on it either that or like allergy season is messing with me but this does not have a prominent nose like yeah, I, can I get, smell I get a little bread hops maybe some hops some bread yeah but I, you the... don't the one thing you don't get which you get with a lot of of newer ipas is you don't get any of the citrus smells and no, no, this has got none that, of that. That should gone. indicate I mean, is... something to you because this is not a New England style IPA, uh, which is kind and of. You said this is from Michigan. This is from Michigan. Ameri it says it's an American IPA on the can. American right. IPA, which should be pretty hoppy. If if we go ahead and taste it, which I'm going to do now. All right, let's have a go. Oh, none of damn. the citrus. <laughs> I don't know why. I know that's the face you're going to make. I know that's the reaction. But I mean, I I'm waiting for me not time. to have that reaction. Honestly, I'm waiting. I keep feeling like, uh, do you remember the old Peanuts cartoon with Lucy and Charlie Brown and the football? Yeah, I keep, I'm, I'm kind of doing the football, that motion right now. Yeah. So this just tastes like um, it tastes like beer. It's it's insanely generic tasting. Like I'm not getting. Let me have another sip and see if there's any other flavor profile here. Well, while you make faces, no, I've rolled it. I've rolled it around my tongue. 
I can confirm there's nothing else going on here. This is, um, I imagine that like Ranier probably tastes the same as this actually. Hmm. Well, this is, this is very typical of a West Coast IPA style. Although it's not nearly as hoppy as some that you'll come across, it's not going to have the balance that's brought in with like the citrusy hops and things like that. So it's definitely hop forward. It definitely coats your tongue. And uh, yeah, if you're if you're not a fan of super hoppy beer, you will not like Bell's Too Hearted. I happen to like it. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get to our beer review at the end of the show as well. But before then, um, Tom, uh, what's configuration management under FedRAMP Moderate? Yeah, so configuration management is really sort of a, a number of really important controls. First of all is, do you have baseline security configurations for all of your deployments, whether it's laptops, servers, applications, all of those need to have baseline configurations. It's really critical that you track those baseline configurations. So understanding if there's drift associated with those configurations is a key component. Change management is a key component of configuration management. So if you kind of think about it, how are you making changes to your baseline, right? How you think of that? And then, you know, the other piece that I always kind of think about is a major pillar in configuration management is inventory management. So how are you establishing an inventory and tracking your inventory, both on the hardware and software side, but most people forget the, the firmware side as well. Yeah, and you've given us a lot to tuck into on this episode. So let's uh, let's let's start at the top here. So um, why is it important to establish baseline configurations, and uh, how does that actually contribute to the security of FedRAMP moderate cloud systems? Yeah, it's a great question. I would I would subject that perhaps the right term is baseline security configuration. That's really okay. what you're trying to get to. You're trying to get to a known configuration that is hardened, that takes out of the equation things like ports, protocols, and services that are not needed, applies best practices to the overall configuration, so timeouts and things like that, and then allows you the ability to track that. And that's what's really important. If you know where you start, you can know where you end if it's right or wrong, sort of the, the concept there. So okay. you have to put into practice something to track that. Yeah, absolutely. And these are baseline security configurations. I think that's a good clarification. I want to I want to talk into another bit you you talked about there. And multiple cybersecurity frameworks have inventory management in there. So um, let's talk about a what's a recommended approach for a cloud service provider to maintain an inventory of all their hardware and software components. Yeah, inventory management is the bane of lots of IT organizations. It's very difficult to do. It's even more difficult to do it well. I can tell you that what you do for a solution is often determined by the size and the budget in which you have. So mm -hmm. I've seen solutions from spreadsheets, which are, can be very effective in a small organization, but do not scale worth a darn with large organizations. And then I see mm -hmm. full-blown um, ITSM solutions that have inventory management in it. Those usually get built out in a way that track too many variables, so they don't get filled out at all. So what you want to do is you want to have a solution that tracks the elements that are required, but doesn't commit you to a bunch of variables that you can't track very well. So that's always the, the, the piece that you trade off on. Of course, FedRAMP is going to require you to track a number of things. Yeah, things and, like and one of the reasons I, I brought up inventory management, um, I was on a call earlier today on vulnerability management. And realistically, you can't have vulnerability tracking without having an inventory, I think. CISCSC has that. I think NIST has that. It's it's in a lot of frameworks. So um, 
tell me a, a little bit how the configuration management control domain addresses vulnerability management for cloud systems. Well, the key in there is what you've already uncovered, and that's it creates the base inventory in which your vulnerability management program is going to be based upon. So configuration management doesn't specifically talk about how you do vulnerability management. That's often risk assessments. It's another domain uh, family. But certainly okay. this is the foundation in which you build a lot of pieces out in other control families, vulnerability management being a piece. Okay, but but if you're, cha you're if you're making changes to a system, you potentially are introducing risk in that system. So uh, when, when we're implementing system changes, how can an organization ensure that they're not um, inadvertently reducing their security or creating vulnerabilities? Yeah, you have to build your risk assessment process into your change process. So you have to have a change control process. You have to document your change control. You have to keep a log of it. All of those things are pretty mm -hmm. standard. Mm -hmm. But you want to make sure that you have integrated your your risk assessment process into your deployment and into your change process. So for instance, if you're doing a CI CD process where you're doing uh, you know, continuous deployments and it's it's pretty rapid methodology, you want to make sure that that risk assessment process is very early on in the build and very late in the de the deployments. You want to make sure that it assesses the risk early on and verifies the risk as it deploys. Now, I, I, if I want to yell bingo, I could say you mean shift left, which is, I think, what we're all supposed to be saying at this point, according to the nice people in marketing. But that's really that comes down to, though, is moving the risk analysis uh, earlier in the development cycle as opposed to historically what we've done in cybersecurity, where it's kind of an afterthought. Correct. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're in a development house that doesn't take continuous security seriously, you're setting yourself up for risk. That's very true. Um, I want to also go back to something you said about change logs there. Um, and it's funny, I think of years ago, one of the first data centers I, I worked in, um, Paul, the administrator, First of all, he had beer under the floor. It was a refrigerated uh, facility. And uh, if you had those suction cup things, you could actually pull up a section of the, the, the raised flooring and you could actually pull out a case of beer, which was uh, interesting and novel for me being a young, young person working in a corporate environment. But he also had a big binder with change logs and he you know, hand wrote them all because at that point it was still possible to do. You talked a little bit about change logs. Um, does this mean that uh, we need to create and maintain a change log with all the approved changes to the system, which would include um, like modifications to hardware, software, and firmware? Correct, you do. And certainly you don't want to do it written down if you can avoid it. You'd like to do right. it in a way that's easily searched and cross-referenced in case there's an incident of any kind. So that's, that should be sort of the goal when you create that log. But yeah, every single change to production, especially from a FedRAMP perspective within the authorization boundary, needs to be logged. doesn't matter if you think it's a low risk or a high risk, you still need to log it. You still need to have some peer review done on it as well. Okay, and that includes like firmware updates. Just firmware to rotate updates. a little further in that, even though this is in the cloud, firmware still comes into scope. Okay, all right. Um, that's a fairly detailed change log. I suppose the other question I've got is, uh, this isn't a one and done process. This is this is done on a continuous state. So um, how do organizations periodically assess the effectiveness of their configuration management process uh, and, and maintaining their security of the cloud systems? Yeah, if you're doing it well, you don't have to worry about doing it periodically. You can do it continuously. 
-hmm. So you should know if there's drift from your approved configuration, meaning you should be able to test against a baseline configuration and where you sit at any given point. If you're doing it well, you're going to test it in a regular interval, maybe daily, maybe, you know, I, I know some organizations, I think of highly regu regulated industries like energy, that they're testing against their baseline configurations every hour. So that's a, a high degree of confidence, though, that this, the systems are being maintained securely and that all of the changes are not impacting the security of those systems or alternatively introducing the risk of vulnerabilities or other exposure. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, you, you talk about vulnerability uh, exposure. It is, it is an absolute requirement before you push significant change into your environment that you do a vulnerability assessment against that. And that might be scanning it with a vulnerability management tool in, in your development environment. You need to know before you put that outwardly facing that you have a firm understanding of what that change is going to present in terms of risk. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, I think we've, we've I think we've thoroughly covered this topic for the day. Um, the only other topic we have to cover down on is the uh, the beers. How much of you have, have of yours have you finished? Well, I not much because I've been talking so much, Kane. Um, I will. I will. I promise you. <laughs> See, now you're you, kind of like me on this one. I will finish the the entire thing, but are you going to finish it right now on camera? <laughs> no, I'm not going to skull it. I'm past my days of that. But yeah, this is a good All right, beer. Well, let's, let's review these. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to let you go first, Kane. Because you're going to let me go first. All right. So um, I've barely touched mine. Um, you know, what I found really interesting about, let me, let me take one more sip, because I remember we did one where it, the Brewing. flavor profile changed after it had sat out for a minute or two. I'm not sure if aeration is a, a thing that happens. It is. Beer. Absolutely a thing. Okay, now I'm actually getting um, a, something sweet on the nose. I will say that. Nope. Oh. Still just beer. Um, it's a sharp note to it now. Actually, I think I think this is possibly uh, appreciated at high speed, um, <laughs> or at least a higher speed than I'm giving it to. So uh, I'm going to give this a I'm somewhere between a two and a three because it's not as offensive as some of the things that we've tried. Um, so I'm going to give it a three with the caveat that um, one of these probably every two to four minutes uh, and then call the doctor the next day. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I've been professed liker of the IPA style, both West Coast and New England, although I prefer New England much more. Um, so I like this beer. Uh, I think of summer days when I drink a beer like this. Um, I would probably give this, you know, it's not it's not something I buy all the time, but it has a lot of bang for the buck. So I'd probably give it a seven. And I would encourage people who like the IPA style to give Bells a try. Fantastic. And that's all for today. So please like and subscribe for more of our conversations about FedRamp and beer. Tom, great seeing you. Good seeing you, Kane. Thanks.